<clears throat> Brethren, if you will open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. <clears throat> Let me say for the benefit of those who were not with us when we began Hebrews, I've said this a few times, but uh, we, uh, very, I'm very thankful that we continue to have uh, visitors and or people that have not been here in a while. <clears throat> we began last year an exposition of the letter to the Hebrews. I warned everyone then, you may have forgotten my warning, <clears throat> that as we began Hebrews, we would take something of a deep dive into the theology of Trinity and Christology. The reason is because those glorious doctrines undergird this whole letter. We will be seeing the beauty of the Trinity shine forth in chapter after chapter, and the Christology, the glorious person of Christ. In fact, he is front and center by the Holy Spirit's work. And I do pray that as we work through the rest of the letter, our hearts and minds will be drawn ever higher and upward in our praise to our Savior. <clears throat> uh, I'm very grateful that there were some of you that found the... Uh, the extra time that we took on the Trinity, the Godhead, and uh, the Christology pointing to Christ's deity, and as we will see in this chapter, Christ's wonderful humanity. We're going to see the God-man set before us in these two chapters uh, almost more beautifully than any other place I can think in Scripture. Well, I do hope... You will find that helpful. Some, on the other hand, did find it uh, a little difficult to think about the, the greatness and the immensity of our God. For that, I would say, good. Uh, we need to realize God is not our um, running buddy. He is God. He is the Most High. And while He is the friend of sinners, while... He is the great and glorious God who loves his people and saves them. He deserves a reverence and an awe that generally doesn't come until we begin to try to handle what the scriptures say about God. If we would meditate on so many of the things that the scriptures set before us, we would realize the difficulty of the doctrine of the Trinity and Christology. So for those that found it difficult sledding, I am sorry, we will, uh, we will not generally do that through the rest of the letter, but here and there we may stop and refresh ourselves just a little bit when necessary. I also said at the beginning that it was a difficult uh, book to interpret well. We can read it. Uh, in a very surface way and, and see many lovely truths in it. But to really begin to unfold the extraordinary message that is in this book 
And the great uh, challenges that some of the things the author says, uh, <clears throat> very much the same with Paul. Uh, that, by the way, is why some people have believed that Paul was the, the writer. Um, Peter says that some of the things Paul writes are hard to understand. Certainly there are a number of them in this wonderful book. So <clears throat> for those of you that had to, uh, that it was rough going to get through the, the, the doctrine of uh, the Trinity and the doctrine of Christology, as we began to see it, we'll see a lot more of it as we go through the book. Uh, I do pray that now as we take those truths, the ones you were able to glean from it, and uh, begin to see them as part of the interpretive toolbox of this wonderful and profound letter. So, uh, having done that, <clears throat> I did one further thing in the hopes of helping everyone here see the challenges, the blessings, and uh, the difficulties sometime of understanding how the scriptures use scripture. Uh, we went to every one of the passages quoted in chapter 1 that were brought forth to show the glorious person of Christ, especially his deity. And uh, that, too, was a bit of a challenge for some, maybe a little tedious. And I certainly didn't intend it to be tedious, but I wanted you to, are you ready for that word? Think. I want you to think because God wants you to think. You can't love him with all your mind unless you are thinking and thinking his thoughts after him. And sometimes there really are the deep end of the pool. We just find ourselves, as the hymn says, lost in wonder, love, and grace, just overwhelmed by the power and the depths of the truths that are in Scripture. So now, as we come into chapter 2, we'll be moving a little more quickly. We won't be looking up every single passage that is brought forth uh, to... Uh, make the author's arguments, though we will point them out as we go through, because whoever did write this letter was an extraordinary preacher, pastor, theologian. His knowledge of the Word of God is just extraordinary, and his use of it uh, is glorious. So we will take note of that, but we won't look up all of the references and uh, see them. So I hope that at least what we have done thus far, though a challenge for some, and uh, thankfully uh, an encouragement and a blessing for some, uh, that we will now be able to take some of these challenging things and see that the themes of chapter 1, especially the first four verses, really do unfold through the whole letter. And uh, we'll see some of that today. This is more of a bird's eye view today. And we will then see how uh, wonderfully this great preacher sets the truth before us. Well, that said, if you will stand with me, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we will go through verse Four. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, 
Hebrews, that sermonic letter, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. This is God's word. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to all the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please remain standing as we lift our hearts to our great and good God. How we praise and thank thee, O God, that thou dost love thy people so that thou wouldst speak to us, that thou wouldst communicate with us, that would give us thy word and give us thy spirit, that would give us thy son, that our souls might be eternally saved. Oh, how we bless thee for the mercies for the grace, the marvelous grace, the wondrous grace of which we sang. How we thank thee that thou didst come to our darkness, our wickedness, our hideousness in our sin, and thou didst breathe life into our souls. Thou didst open our eyes to see thy truth. Thou didst open our ears to hear thy truth, thou didst give us hearts, hearts to believe thy truth. And thou didst empower us to believe thee, to obey thee, to walk with thee in this world. And we thank thee. Blessed be thy holy name. And now, O oh God, we know that there are those gathered in our midst today who do not know thee. Thou didst work that miracle of the new birth in the heart of every regenerate child of God here today. Do it again. Come to the lost. Bring the mighty power, the life-giving power, the transforming power, the life-altering power of thy Holy Spirit and thy word. Draw them into thy glorious kingdom of Christ. Now, O oh God, for thy dear children, give them joy. Father, joy unspeakable and full of glory as they hear of Christ. Lord, feed us with thy blessed Son. Let us delight in him today. If our hearts are heavy, Lord God, lift them up if our hearts are wounded from our war with sin, come with the healing balm of the gospel, justification by faith, sanctifying love and power. 
Oh God, come build up thy church today. Father, may we all delight in thee. And I ask that thy mighty power would help me. That thy word would go forth and accomplish thy holy purpose. Save the lost. Sanctify the saved. Most of all, bring glory to thy holy son Christ in our midst. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In eternity, before God created the heaven and the earth, God purposed a great salvation of sinners in His Son. We call that great and holy purpose the covenant of redemption, a holy agreement among the members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This holy trinity is divine, infinite, eternal, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole undivided essence. Each holy person participated in the salvation of sinners. The Father purposed this great salvation in His eternally begotten, His eternally loved Son. He appointed Him to be the prophet, priest, and king of His dearly loved people. The eternal Son agreed to unite with human nature in the womb of a virgin so that as truly God and truly man in one person, he might save forever the souls of his people. He did this by his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. We proclaim that truth for the salvation of men's souls. The Holy Spirit agreed to regenerate God's elect, bringing them to faith and repentance in Christ the Son. He would give them knowledge of the Scriptures and therefore knowledge of the Lord of life, knowledge of the Savior of sinners who lived and died that they might have everlasting life. After the Son purged the sins of His people, He rose again. He ascended into glory and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He was God's Son in eternity. He was God's incarnate Son, the God-man, when on earth. 
And he is God's son who inherited the Messianic kingdom and the Davidic throne. Jesus, Jesus the eternal son, Jesus the incarnate son, Jesus the glorified son sits enthroned in the regions of heavenly majesty. Now this epistle to the Hebrews reveals the Trinitarian glory of the Son. We will encounter finally the Holy Spirit in this chapter. The Trinitarian glory of the Son and the incarnational splendor of the Son. His deity and humanity are both on display in this letter so that we may have a greater glimpse and deeper understanding of the great salvation. Say it again. The so great salvation that the Son has accomplished for His people and for all who will repent of their sins and come to Him in faith. All that is set before us to keep us steadfast in the faith. Let me say that again. It isn't just that God has given a spectacular revelation. Of course he has. But why? That's always a good question to ask when you're reading the scriptures. Why this? Why here? Well, there's reason for that spectacular revelation of Christ being set before us. <clears throat> it is so that we will be steadfast in the faith. But there is an aspect of our responsibility to him. Listening to him intensively. You and I have a responsibility to hear the Son. So the title of our message is, Are You Earnestly Listening to Jesus? Are you earnestly listening to Jesus? Now may our God, the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. Fill us with the Spirit, feed our souls with the love of Christ, and draw us closer to Him and to one another in His Word. So our first major thought here is this. The believer's essential responsibility is to hear, believe, and obey Christ. If the word is is missing on your outline, you may find a few other items like that, as the outline changed several times before I finished. <clears throat> there are scribal errors in my work, not in God's, but in mine 
uh, you will find much fallibility. So I'll repeat that. The believer's essential responsibility is to hear, believe, and obey Christ. The sacred text says, therefore, we ought to give, up the more, uh, give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, as we begin the second chapter of this most blessed letter, the first word we meet with is, therefore. Therefore. Sometimes, therefore, is one of the most important words in Scripture. Why? It connects the words and ideas said before it with words and ideas that follow it. It links biblical ideas together. In fact, very often, it's a word that draws conclusion. Because this was said, this. <clears throat> and in this context, it means because of. Because of what? <clears throat> because of what is said in chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. The extraordinary revelation of Jesus in those verses is directly connected to the message of chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. As I've said numerous times in the past, there are times when the, the chapter numbers and the verse numbers are not helpful. They're very helpful to guide us, to help us navigate to a particular book or portion of the scripture. If I say, let's go to Mark chapter 15, verse 1, well, we've got an address that we can go to that's very easy. But that very numer uh, numbers, that the, the issue of the numbers being set before us um, very often breaks up the thoughts that are being set before us. <clears throat> the scriptures actually existed a very long time before there were any chapter verses um, uh, chapter and verse numeration added to them. So, uh, we certainly don't think they're terrible, they're helpful, but they're not helpful sometimes in helping us to keep the thoughts that were in the minds of the authors of the various books. It's one of the reasons I recommend having at least one paragraph Bible in the house and reading it in paragraph form. That's not perfect either, but very often it helps you to gather the argument or what the author is intending to say in those blocks of thought. <clears throat> there are themes very often being drawn out that we miss uh, if we're not carefully uh, looking at the way uh, the page is numbered or the verses are numbered. So having said that, chapter 1 flows right into chapter 2. <clears throat> there is a change, and we're going to talk about that, 
But the fact is, therefore is our helper. Therefore says, after 14 verses, because of those 14 verses, this. Now, the next word that we have is we. W-E, a little word. But it's essential in these four verses. It's essential. <clears throat> Therefore, we. Let's hear the verse again. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Are you sensing the focus here? We look over words like that sometimes without realizing every word of God is pure. The Holy Spirit put that here. And there's a reason that we all of a sudden brings the arguments that we were hearing in the first chapter into a personal realm. We was, were, were not mentioned <laughs> much at all in the first chapter. It's about Christ and his glory. But now it moves into a very personal part of the letter for the first time. We. The author includes himself in that. We. We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, this extraordinary revelation, as I have said, in chapter 1, is directly connected to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, the author includes himself in those whom he addresses. Jews that are tempted to leave the faith, which is the worst possible decision anyone can ever make. There's no happy ending for those who leave the faith. And because this letter is the word of God, the little word we includes all God's people down through the ages. We then applies to us. In other words, the author of this sermonic letter has momentarily stopped his exposition, and now turns to exhortation. This is a pastor. This is not a man simply writing a very deep theological work. It is deeply theological. But he turns. The appearance of therefore we brings us right into application and exhortation of the scripture. All that wonderful revelation of Christ in chapter 1 is now brought home to our hearts, to our minds. And we are strongly exhorted on the basis of what we just read in chapter 1. 
Another way of putting it is this. The pastor pauses his glorious explanation of Christ's superiority, Christ's superiority to the angels, to exhort his readers from explanation to exhortation, from preaching and declaring to applying. This is purely pastoral work here and wonderfully done. But that brings us to the first of five warnings in Hebrews. It is as though the, the pastor was preaching, preaching his heart out and laying forth one scripture after another to show us the glory and the beauty of Christ. And then he stops and looks at us and says, now we're going to apply this. And of all things, he warns us. So this is warning number one in the epistle to the Hebrews. We will look at it in more detail in a future sermon. But today, as I said, basically we're taking a bird's eye view of these verses. We must pay careful attention to what we've heard. That's the first warning. Pay attention. Listen. And we need to listen a particular way, it tells us. When my mother thought that I was drifting when she was talking to me about something she deemed important, she would often cup her hand and put it under my chin, turn my face up to hers and say, and, and say to me, are you listening to me? Maybe some of you parents have done something like that. Maybe you don't touch in that way. My mom was very touchy. <clears throat> I don't mean she had a bad attitude. I mean, she was a tactile person. And so if she had something important to say, and she thought maybe I wasn't getting it, or maybe I just, uh, though my body was there, my mind not have been, she would take that, turn me up, and say, are you listening to me. In a certain, to a certain degree, that's what God's doing here right now. He's looking at his children through the pastor, the pastor in the letter, and saying, are you listening? Are you listening to God? There's a way you need to listen to God. And there's a very real reason for that stout warning, as we will unfold. So let's remember for a moment how the letter to the Hebrews began. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's how it begins. And here we see God speaking in the Old Covenant by his servants, the prophets. Then the text says, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now, 
when we sit down and read Hebrews for the first time, we might just read that and go, okay, prophets, son, and move on. That's an, this is an astonishing statement. We don't want to run over it quickly. God speaks. God spoke in the prophets. He never had to speak to us any other way if he had chosen to. But now something extraordinary has happened. While he loved the prophets, while they spoke his word, he has now spoken unto us in these last days, in the days of the new covenant, by his glorious son. That's essential to understanding this passage. How it begins gives us themes, how the letter begins gives us themes that unfold through the letter at various times, various places, various ways. It's unfolding before us right now. God has spoken. Let's go further. <clears throat> In pastoral love and wisdom, the human author wrote chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, to display the radiant beauty, the power, and the splendor of the eternal Son. So, having proclaimed Christ's lordship, his creative and sustaining power, his glorious radiance, and his saving work, followed by a chain of holy scriptures that prove and magnify his deity, he warns us. That's interesting. Many of us probably not think that a warning would be how you'd want to follow that. We see the glory and the beauty of Christ. We want to, we want to hear that glorious call. Come to me, all you that labor in there, heavy laden. I want to come to that glorious Christ. Well, we have to remember who he's talking to. People in danger of leaving the faith. Perilous times are on the horizon some of them have already left the faith. And what does he call them back with? Christ. The beauty of Christ. The God-man. He warns us. We, believers of that day, and us, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. We've just been instructed on how to listen. How to listen to the Son. How? More earnest heed. Might be good to ask the question again right at this moment. Are we listening to Jesus are we listening carefully to Jesus? The more earnest heed means to a much greater degree, a much 
greater degree or far more or even far greater. Mark 15 verses 13 and 14 illustrates this. As the Jews in the presence of Pilate violently cried out against Christ, crucify him. They weren't, they weren't mumbling. They weren't whispering to each other. As a crowd, as an angry mob, they were crying out. Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? Now what did they hear in what Pilate just said? Pilate's the one that has the power to put him to death. He's sounding like this might be an innocent man. We got him here. We're not going to let him out of this. So what did they do? They cried out, listen, the more exceedingly, that's the same Greek word, that we have that means more earnest heed. They cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. We can only imagine how loud that angry mob was. They were not going to be settled until the blood of that man was pouring out of his body. So they cried even more. Now, Paul argued against false teachers in his second letter to the Corinthians using the same word. He said, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Then he goes on to say, in labors more abundant. Now there's the Greek word under more abundant. In other words, oh, you think they're laboring on your, on your behalf? I've done it much more, much greater. I've labored for your souls, willing to spend and be spent. They haven't done this. Much more. He goes on to amplify that in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths more oft. So, the Holy Spirit moved the human author of Hebrews to warn us and to use a very strong word to do it. Remember, he says in chapter 1, God hath, God hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. In other words, we ought to pay attention. We ought to Listen to Jesus in a much 
greater way than the old covenant believers heard the prophets. Much more. Much more. Let me ask you. Are we listening to Jesus in a much greater way than the Jews listen to the prophets? Have you read the Old Testament carefully and seen how often God rebukes them for not listening to him, for not hearing him? Are you hearing Jesus? Am I hearing Jesus? And am I doing what I can? Am, am I spiritually putting up both hands behind my ears and saying, I want to hear you? Well, as we go through this verse, we ought to pay attention in a far greater way. But pay attention to what? Pay attention to what? The things we have heard. Now we have to unfold that just a little bit. The things that we have heard. Before the Gospels were written, the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ, spoke. He lived in this world before one word of the Gospels was written. <clears throat> the Gospels were not completed at the time of his death. They weren't even being written at that point. So there was his life in this world and witnesses. His hand-chosen witnesses that would take his teaching and preach them and spread them as they went throughout the country, as they went throughout the world. <clears throat> the incarnate Son of God. Now, following Christ's resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit brought to the apostles' memory all of the things that he wanted written down. The apostles preached those things in the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. And thousands were converted. Thousands were converted. And eventually, they wrote those things down. Or they had close associates write them. And we call those works the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Do you want to hear Jesus' teaching? Do you want to hear Jesus' words? Where and how do you come with a greater desire to hear him in the Gospels? Now, of course, not denying that the, the whole Bible is God's word. But what is being conveyed to the hearers of this epistle is you were taught about Christ while he was here on earth. You can see it in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts repeatedly. It began with the Jews, as was promised, and then it went out to the Gentiles. <clears throat> it was going out before it was written down. 
And it was during those following years that the, the, uh, the apostolic letters were written, the gospels were written. We don't have the apostles standing in front of us. But we have the God sent words of the apostles. Are we listening? Are we listening to the gospels? The things that are found in the gospels and in the letters of the apostles are the kinds of things that the people being addressed in the epistle to the Hebrews were hearing. The truths of Christ, the truths of the apostles. And he's saying, are you listening intensely to Jesus? Why? Because they're tempted to leave him. And you will be too, some way or another in your life. There will be times when the enemy will assault. Is this really true? Can I really believe this? Now, I know all regenerate people are going to, they're going to hold the Bible closely to their hearts and not give it up. But there are times when the enemy knows exactly where to hit us. Where did he hit Adam and Eve? In God's word. You will not surely die when God said you will. Do we know the scriptures well enough to answer back when Satan tries to deceive us? Are we listening? Well, when Jesus came into this world, what did he say? The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. People heard, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, by the way, Learn of me does not mean learn about me. The idea is learn from me. We can't do that if we're not listening. He's telling those who hear him speak, I will teach you, listen, come to me. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. How glorious. The heart, the soul that is aching, that is wounded before God because it knows its sin. It knows the darkness that it lives in and wants to be done with its wickedness. That wants forgiveness for the wickedness that lies behind them like a wake of bodies. He says, I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. But you've got to come to me. Come learn from me. He's the greatest teacher. He's the greatest pastor. He's the greatest bishop. He's the greatest shepherd. He's a man. And he knows men and women. Well, 
Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those are the kind of things the Hebrews heard. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, a Jewish teacher at that moment. Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, that means we have to listen. He that believeth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You won't find words more beautiful this, than this in the entire world. You can read the greatest poets. You can read the greatest novelists. You can read the men who had extraordinary grasp of the language and used it to powerful effects. Nothing comes close to the words of Jesus. Do we know the words of Jesus? Are we giving ourselves more intensely? Are we giving ourselves to a greater hearing to Jesus, that final and glorious revelation of God, than the early Jews did the prophets? Again, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. Oh, for those of you here today who do not know Christ, do you hear his words? These are words of life. Notice that every single one of them points to him. Come to me. I will give you rest. Believe on me and you will have everlasting life. You can't pay for it. You can't force God to give it to you. You can hear Jesus and believe him. He's given us his words. The Hebrews had heard these kinds of things. I don't know exactly what they heard, but if they were hearing apostolic teaching, they were hearing the words of Christ and they were hearing things that the apostles were given to teach. Read the apostolic letters and we'll know that at least at some level, the Hebrews were hearing the truths of Christ, the fact that he is the God-man, the fact that he came into this world to keep the law in our place and to win for us a perfect righteousness, that he went to the cross dying to pay the penalty for the sins of his people and then rose again the third day triumphing over death. They were hearing that. But some of them were walking away from it. Think about the day of Pentecost. Think about the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out. Christ, the ascended Christ, seated at the Father's right hand, poured out that holy gift called the Holy Spirit. And Peter declared in the power of the Spirit, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy, fo of, make thy foes Thy footstool. Psalm 110. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, be convinced of this, that God hath made that Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Do you believe those words? 
Do you believe them with all of your heart? Are you ready to lose your life for believing those words? We're to give more earnest heed to the Son, to listen carefully and believe what he says. It goes on to say that now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This is exactly what Jesus commanded him to preach uh, after Christ had risen from the dead. If you go back to Luke 24 and see what he says now, this is where it's going to begin. This is how it's going to begin. Here's what I want you to preach. And here's Peter faithfully preaching. How could he be preaching so faithfully? Well, number one, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But number two, he had listened to Christ. He had listened to Christ's words. And the world was changed. Paul wrote, much more than now being justified by his blood, being declared righteous through faith in the blood poured out on the cross. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Oh, we want to know that one. Praise God. What a glorious, what a liberating truth. Declared righteous by the judge of the universe by believing on that broken body on Calvary and believing on that resurrected one. Again, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, you can't confess unless you've heard the words and believe them. There's no such thing as confessing Christ until you know what Christ has set before you. Thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. Believe what? The words. The words about Christ. Believe unto righteousness. Oh, you believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. There's no argument here. There's not a footnote. Except... He sets, he sets forth the glory and the, the beauty of our Savior. And he goes on to say, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The man that believes that had to have been told that the blood of Christ spilled, that Christ dying on Calvary's cross, that Christ having kept the law that no one else kept, is the righteousness revealed in the gospel. Jesus kept the law in our place. And his righteousness is our righteousness. For somebody to believe that in their heart and to confess that, somebody had to love them enough to tell them. Amen. Not only those things. There's so much. I mean, stop and think about what you see in the four Gospels, what you hear and what you hear in the writings of the apostles. We hear of the sovereignty of God, the God that rules. 
We, we learn of predestination. We learn of election. We learn of the kingdom of God, the wrath of God, the grace of God. Grace of God in Christ. The second coming of Christ. The day of judgment. And the glorious eternal reign of Christ and his people for all eternity. And if we don't know about that, somebody's not preaching the scriptures. Somebody's not preaching what the word of God teaches. And it's only by the word of God that we have an object to believe. You don't just believe like you don't just love. Oh, I love. No, you love something or you love someone. And it's exactly the same with faith. You either believe something or you believe someone. There must always be an object. And it needs to be these words. Are we listening to God to a far greater degree than the Old Testament saints listened to Moses and the prophets? This is going to come back to us in a later chapter here in Hebrews because many did not enter the promised land because of evil hearts of unbelief. What was it that they didn't believe? The words of Christ, the words of the Son and about the Son. Now, do you believe them? You believe them or you do not? There are certain things that you might say, well, I sort of, you can't with this. You don't sort of believe. You believe the words that God has given, that the, the words that God has breathed, or you don't. Oh, my brethren, the believers that Hebrews addressed or addresses heard these great and glorious truths and more. But did they listen? The very existence of the letter means that some did not. They professed it. They, if they professed it, they were baptized they were gathering with God's people. Later he's going to say, don't stop gathering. Which means there were some leaving the gatherings. They were going back to something safer. They wanted to avoid the persecution that was looming on the horizon. And they chose something other than the words of Christ. If the world hated you, if the world hated me, it will hate you. Are you listening to those words? They haven't changed. If we are faithful to Christ, we don't have to go out looking for a, a street fight. We don't have to go out looking for a dust up with an unbeliever. Live your life as God calls you to, you're going to sooner or later, whether it be family or neighbors, you're going to be face to face with someone that doesn't like what you believe. And they won't like you because they won't like what you believe. By the way, if you're not seeing that in the media right now, you're not reading or listening to the media. <laughs> of course, there's a good reason for not. I understand that. We get tired of lies, don't we? But I will tell you, brethren, Jesus said his people are going to suffer. And uh, they do. 
I'm no prophet. I'm not saying I know when and how you will. But if you love Christ, sooner or later, it will be in your face. Might be, like I said, might be a family member. Might be a colleague at work. But sooner or later, your views that are derived from Christ will clash with this wicked and decaying culture. So, do we listen earnestly to Christ? That's the word. Earnest. We should take the more earnest heed. We should listen to a greater degree to what Christ has said. If you don't know what the morning headlines are, that's okay. But if you don't know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you don't know how to live in the kingdom. And we could go on with that sort of reasoning. Jesus spoke of himself and he spoke through his apostles. Do we listen to Christ better? Do we listen to Christ earnestly? Do we listen to Christ like our immortal souls hung on him and his work. Do we listen? In these last days, God has spoken unto us in his son. We have as much as we're going to be able to have in this world. Do we know what it says? Are we ready to lay our life down for what we think we know about the Bible? Ooh. I have to wrestle with these all through the week as I'm thinking about these incredible statements. The pastor who wrote this letter called Hebrews cared for those Jews. Why? He didn't want them to walk away from Christ. Nothing more glorious, no one more glorious than Christ and his word. Why? Would we want something else? Well, <clears throat> let me simply run quickly through this last part of the outline and we will stop for today. We will pick up here, God willing, if the Lord gives us another Lord's Day together. The words Christ spoke are superior to the word angels spoke. What? I'll say that again. The words Christ spoke are superior to the words angels spoke. Well, what's your point? Well, it's not my point. It says in verse 2, if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense and reward... This is talking about Mount Sinai and the law that God gave. Now, uh, Exodus chapter 20 doesn't say anything about angels, but several other places in the scriptures do talk about angels being involved in some way in the delivery of God's word to his people at Mount Sinai. That's a very important point, and we will take that up next time. But I say it to you now in this context, haven't you been wondering, and I do mean this, haven't you been wondering why the first chapter of Hebrews <laughs> takes all that time to say 
Jesus is better than the angels. Have you thought why that mattered? Have you thought about why that mattered? You're being told right now. This is why the chapter and verse changes. Uh, don't help us. It's not because people necessarily worshipped them. Yes, that happened. And many of the theories that are offered for why so much time is spent on those angels. The issue is because they were involved in God's speaking to his people. And the contrast is God spoke in the Old Testament. And angels were involved in that speaking. In the New Testament, God has spoken in his son. And he is better than the angels. That's why it matters. That's the whole reason. There's revelation from God. The Jews lived under it. Angels were involved in it. But in our day, in the new covenant, God has spoken by his son. For that reason, we should be listening more intensely to him. We should be listening with all our hearing abilities, praying that the spirit would open our hearts and help us to hear in our hearts the glorious truths of our God and to believe them and to walk in them and to preach them and share them. As glorious as the old covenant was in its own way, it cannot compare to the bright, shining glory of Jesus Christ and his new covenant. Nothing compares to it. And now we know why so much about better than angels, better than angels, better than angels, better than angels. Well, we get it. Well, did we? We should have been asking, why, 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 why was he doing this? And here it is. We now have it. And the book is like this. It unfolds in various ways. So the word spoken by angels was steadfast. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? And here's the warning. This is the heart of the warning. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation. And how do we know about that great salvation? We hear the words of Christ. We give more earnest heed to him and to his words. It is a great salvation. But it's an absolute horror to turn away from it. So we will come back to this next time, God willing. It is clear that the old covenant had unbending justice. Our great salvation is glorious to us because God's son, God's son announced it. God's witnesses confirmed it. God testified to this great salvation by miracles. And he sent the Holy Spirit with great gifts. To his people, all to affirm the words of Christ and about Christ. We should be listening to him more than anyone else talking. We should be listening to him with all our hearts because he is the way, 
the truth, and the life. May God grant us grace as we pick up here next week, God willing. Father, we need Thee. Oh, how we need Thee. We pray with all our hearts that Thou wouldst grant us grace, wisdom. Grant us spiritual ears to hear the word of Christ and to never, never turn away from them. May our hearts rise up clinging to Christ as our only hope. And may we become the best listeners we can possibly be. We pray it in thy name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Believing what? The words of Christ and about Christ. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's go in his precious name.